Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to those who are here, to those streaming at home. Merry Christmas if this is your first Sunday, either with us in person or online. We are glad to get to worship with you. Merry Christmas. We are celebrating the most pivotal moment of human history. Does it feel like it? God, ultimate being, source of truth and life and light and all goodness and beauty, the creator of the universe, becomes a created thing. Does it feel like it? Infinity becomes fully finite. The all-powerful one becomes a powerless baby dependent on a teenage girl to be his source of life. Or as Athanasius famously says, for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Does it feel like it? Does it seem like anything other than eating more dessert than usual happened at all? Is there really anything behind all the Zoom gatherings and gift givings and extra trips to Target for another roll of wrapping paper? If human history really changed on such a scale that preachers like me say it has, why doesn't it feel like it? For many of us. Well, God often asks two thematic questions of us in the Christmas season. Will you wait in anticipation? Will you wait? Will you practice patience and preparation and contentment? Will you cultivate the virtues of hope love, joy, and peace? Will you come into touch with your deep core longings and sit in silent praise as they grow? Will you wait? And then the second question, will you recognize once what you've been waiting for has arrived? Because on either side of Christmas lies a truth about receiving Christ as a gift. You have Advent, right, leading up to Christmas, which we just journeyed through, and then the season of Epiphany comes after it. You have anticipation on the one side and recognition on the other. Will you wait for him to come? And will you notice when he does? In between anticipation and recognition lies what Michael was talking about, Christmastide. It's still Christmas. It wasn't just two days ago. There's these 12 days of Christmas. Not the song, although our text today is dangerously close to lining up, right? On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. But the 12 days of Christmas, the song, is really has nothing to do with the 12 days of Christmas, the season, other than the same title. And in fact, usually the song gets sung as if it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas. 
But there's 12 days of Christmas. And there are these days that we celebrate in between Christ's birth and when we celebrate the Feast of the Magi or the Three Wise Ones as well, coming to the baby and recognizing, right? This profound epiphany happens. They know who this baby is, and it's just a baby. Now, because of our place in history, we kind of get to jump to epiphany a little bit early, right? We get to celebrate the birth with the inside scoop of Mary and Joseph, with their angelic insight into who exactly this child is. But even knowing that, even with the inside scoop, it doesn't mean that we automatically recognize when Christ comes. It doesn't mean that we automatically notice the God being birthed in our midst. So in our text today, we find Mary and Joseph being good Jewish parents. They follow the law of Moses, and they go to the temple, both for their own purification rites, particularly for Mary's purification after giving birth, and then also for the dedication of Jesus, the dedication of the firstborn son. And then, once they're there, another character is introduced to us. His name is Simeon, and that's who I particularly want to talk to us about. In verse 25, we learn about him. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon, we learn, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel has suffered greatly through time. We talked these last four weeks about how our own traumatic moment looks similar in some ways to Israel's traumatic moments, although, of course, very different. But Israel has suffered greatly, and Simeon believes that the heart of God is not to leave his people in suffering, but that God will come and comfort and be with those who have gone through great loss. And Simeon is waiting for that day. And then in verse 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, what a promise. Simeon, the thing you are waiting for, it's actually going to come before you die. You will see the Christ who will be the great consolation for the people. And so Simeon becomes this archetype of holy anticipation, of waiting for the right thing in the right way. And then verse 27, and he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, let's pause here for a moment before we reveal what it is Simeon said. So imagine for a moment now, what if Simeon would have held Jesus in the temple, blessed him and the parents, and then went about his day as if it was just another ritualistic blessing and purification 
that he seemed to often do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It was his job. It's still special and meaningful. It's a blessing. But it's certainly not life-changing. So what if Simeon would have missed out on recognizing who it was that was in his arms? Which would be easy, after all. It was simply another baby. For myself, and I'm guessing for many of you as well, Christmas can happen without anything actually happening. Now, I've learned to practice Advent fairly well. It's become one of my favorite seasons. I've learned to lean into the importance of waiting and anticipation. But once Christmas does arrive, do I really recognize the baby in my arms that I'm holding? Do I recognize God has come? Do we recognize God's arrival into our lives? Let me ask you this. Are there places in your life where you feel like God hasn't quite answered a prayer yet? You're missing out on his answer to a prayer. Or maybe there's a promise, a a scriptural promise that's been given to you that God has actually fulfilled, but you can't see it. You can't recognize it. I was stopped in my tracks when I read this poem this week. Um, It's called Advent 1971. It's by Madeline Langle. I'd love to read it for you. When will he come and how will he come? And will there be warnings And will there be thunders and rumbles of armies coming before him and banners and trumpets? When will he come and how will he come and will we be ready? Oh, woe to you people. You sleep through the thunder. You heed not the warnings, the fires and the drownings, the earthquakes and stormings and ignorant arming, armies and dark closing on you. The songbirds are falling. The seabirds are dying. The fish no more are leaping. The children are choking in air not for breathing. The aged are gasping with no one to tend them. A bright star has blazed forth, and no one has seen it, and no one has wakened. (laughs) My soul hurts reading those words. I feel it in me. It aches because I recognize myself in the poem. I know that there's a plethora of moments in my life where I have missed God acting. I've missed the coming of God in my midst. He showed up, and I stayed staring at my phone. I missed the light of Christ for the blue light of an LCD screen. Sometimes we miss God in the moment, don't we? In part, I think this is because God's involvement in our lives is often, it's more like uh, good art 
than propaganda. Do you know the difference? Uh, propaganda is meant to serve one purpose and one purpose alone. The most famous and clear example is, of course, Nazi propaganda, Nazi war propaganda. They had posters and music and films all made to serve the purpose of building their party's platform and power. And Hitler himself, he dedicated two chapters in his book, Mein Kampf, to propaganda. As a soldier in World War I, he said, the reason that Germany lost is because Britain's propaganda was way better than Germany's. And so for him, this was extremely important. He thought because of Britain's great propaganda, their soldiers were more united and committed to their cause, and the rest of the world was more sympathetic to their cause and therefore allied with them. So he says in Mein Kampf, Propaganda must always address itself to the broad masses of the people. The art of propaganda consists precisely in being able to awaken the imagination of the public through an appeal to their feelings, in finding the appropriate psychological form that will arrest the attention and appeal to the hearts of the national masses. The receptive powers of the masses are very restricted, and their understanding is feeble. On the other hand, they quickly forget. Such being the case, all effective propaganda must be confined to a few bare essentials, and those must be expressed as far as possible in stereotyped formulas." These slogans should be persistently repeated until the very last individual has come to grasp the idea that has been put forward. Now, I'm sure you did not imagine to have Hitler quoted in your Christmas sermon, but there it is, propaganda. Propaganda is, of course, it's still prevalent, right? Many, perhaps all of the political commercials we saw this past fall or propaganda, and even lots of sort of social justice art or art with a message is really just propaganda. It doesn't have to be evil in a, in a sense, but it is still propaganda. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us want God to speak to us in propaganda. Make it clear, make it simple, black and white, appeal to our emotions, and repeat the same thing over and over again until we get it. But good art is different from propaganda because it speaks more in hints and suggestions. It requires attention and discernment. It doesn't mean you need to be educated or elite or... Uh, sort of a special class of person to understand it, but it does mean you need to pay attention. It does mean you need to be present to it. There's symbolism and story and context, and because of the work of interpretation, which is your work, it draws the viewer or the listener deeper in. Right? It becomes more than communication it becomes 
communion. It pulls us in. But it also takes time. If you really want to hear a song, if you really want to hear a poem, if you really want to see a painting, you need to give it your full attention. You cannot sort of be checking your Instagram while you're in an art museum and expect to have a good experience. And I'm convinced that God is like that. God is much more like that. So this season invites us into anticipation, but then also into recognition. And Simeon shows us both. So verse 28 again, he took him up, Jesus, in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's eyes have seen God's salvation. They've noticed. His hands have held the soft flesh of God. And he noticed. This wasn't any old baby dedication on any old day. This was the consolation of all Israel resting in his arms. This was the promise fulfilled. And Simeon's sort of blessing or prayer there, it becomes a song, a canticle sung by the church. It's called the Nunc Dimittis, the first two words of that song in Latin. And it's sung around the world daily in evening prayer, right before bed. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. It's this tiny canticle that sums up a beautiful reality. Lord, I've seen your promises fulfilled today. Now I can end my day in peace, truly resting and deeply sleeping because I've noticed that you are the God who fulfills your promises. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When we recognize the Christ who comes, he brings a recognition of ourselves as well. The text says he reveals the thoughts of our hearts. And like Mary, a sword pierces into the soul. And the oftentimes painful but always healing truth comes out. The recognition of Christ is always paired with a deeper self-understanding and vice versa. In fact, John Calvin, 
the great reformer, he begins his institutes of the Christian religion saying, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and bring forth the other is not easy to discern. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of self, they're paired together. Which one comes first? It's hard to know, is what he says. Now, I think all of us want a deeper awareness of God and of ourselves. And you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have traveled in physical space to a church in the midst of a pandemic on a holiday weekend if there wasn't some inkling of desire for more of God and more knowledge of yourself in your life. And you wouldn't be streaming into this service if that wasn't the case. There's certainly better things to watch on your TV or computer. But I think that we want to notice in the moment, like Simeon, that the baby we're holding is the promised Messiah. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, it means that you are filled now with the Holy Spirit. It means that by the Spirit, Christ is always present in your life. It means that the God we wait for in anticipation comes anew into our hearts each day. So that reality already exists. Do we notice him there? Now, the truth is that it may actually only be sort of at the end of the day or after a few days that we notice what just happened when God comes in our lives. There's this great story in Genesis 28 about Jacob. He sets out on this journey, and in verse 11 it says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Okay, nothing special. He takes one of the stones there and he puts it under his head and lays down to sleep. So it's extremely ordinary, extremely uncomfortable probably as well to sleep on a stone. Anyways, he goes to sleep. We learn that he has this beautiful dream where amongst other things, God tells him that he will not leave him until his promises are fulfilled. Then in verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it, he says. Sometimes we miss out on God in the moment. Of course, our desire is to notice the baby Jesus in our arms. We miss out. But we should notice that even if we're unaware of it in the moment, he was indeed present. And like Jacob, we can sort of pray backwards. And one helpful way of of practicing this recognition of God the God who is always there is called examine. 
It's the examine of conscience or consciousness. It's this ancient way of sort of praying backwards through your day. Dennis Ham, he calls it rummaging for God. He uses this image, rummaging for God. It's this lovely expression that suggests going through a drawer full of stuff. You know that something, you know that it's in there, right? But you're not quite sure where. So you're rummaging through the drawer to find this thing that you're sure is there. And this is how it is with the active involvement and presence of God with us. We know, okay, there's this promise that God is here. There's this promise that God has come. But I can't seem to notice. So I'm going to rummage actually through my day, through the past day. Where was God there? He promised he'd be there. Sometimes it's really hard to notice God in the moment. And sort of praying backwards through our day is a way to discover what God might be doing that we otherwise might have missed entirely. So here's what we're going to do. I want to actually lead us through this prayer of examine right now. Usually you'd pray this at the end of your day, going over that day. But this is going to be a special examine Christmas edition. So go back over the last couple days. Maybe you want to go back to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and include yesterday as well. Now there's five steps to this prayer. It's not an extremely long prayer, so don't be worried. But there's five steps, and I'll lead us through it. The first is we'll pray for, for light, for God's Spirit to illuminate. The second is we'll review the past few days in thanksgiving, practicing gratitude. The third is we'll review the feelings that surface in the replay of those past few days, so we'll pay attention to our feelings. Then we'll choose one of those feelings and pray deeper into it. And then we'll look toward tomorrow and pray for God's presence there. If you're at home and you're distracted with kids or trying to multitask or something like that, I'd say please set aside some time later in your day when you know you can actually uh, participate in this and be present. Pay attention. It matters. All right, let's begin praying. So it's easy to begin by simply paying attention to your breath and your posture. You might want to make sure you have both feet firmly on the floor, that your spine is aligned, you're sitting up straight. You might want to let your hands rest on your lap. And if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes and I'll begin leading us in this prayer. Step one is to pray for light. Because we're not simply daydreaming or reminiscing, but rather we're looking for some sense of how the Spirit of God is leading us. So it only makes sense to pray for some illumination. The goal isn't simply memory, but graced understanding. And this is a gift from God devoutly to be begged for. So we pray, God, I believe you are with me and you love me. Lord, help me understand this blooming, buzzing confusion that is my mind and my life. And second, we review the holiday in Thanksgiving. 
in thanksgiving. So note how different this is from looking immediately for your sins over the past few days. I mean, really nobody likes to poke around in the memory bank to uncover smallness, weakness, lack of generosity. But everyone likes beautiful gifts. And that is precisely what these past few days certainly contain. So look around over these past few days, Christmas, Christmas Eve, where were the gifts of existence, of work, of relationships, of food, even of challenges? Gratitude is foundational to our relationship with God. So use whatever cues help you to walk through the last two days from the moment of awakening, maybe even the dreams that you recalled upon waking up. Walk through these past few days, thinking first of Christmas Eve, morning, afternoon, evening, and then Christmas Day. Go from hour to hour, from place to place, task to task, person to person, thanking the Lord for every gift you encounter. Go ahead and take some time to do that. Now review the feelings that surface in the replay of these past days. Our feelings, positive and negative, the painful and the pleasing, they're clear signals of where the action was during the day. So simply pay attention to any and all of those feelings as they surface. The whole range. I'm going to list a whole bunch right now. And if any of those sort of pop something up for you, you can lock in. Delight boredom, fear, anticipation, resentment, anger, peace, contentment, impatience, desire, hope, regret, shame, uncertainty, compassion, disgust, gratitude, pride, rage, doubt, confidence, admiration, shyness, whatever was there. And some of us may be hesitant to focus on feelings in this over-psychologized age, but I believe that these feelings are the liveliest index to what is happening in our lives. So spend some time identifying them. choose one of those feelings, perhaps the strongest one that come up for you, whether it's positive or negative, and pray from it. That is, choose the remembered feeling that most caught your attention. That feeling is a sign that something important was going on. 
Now simply express spontaneously the prayer that surfaces as you attend to the source of the feeling. Whether that's praise, petition, contrition, maybe it's a cry for help or healing. Whatever it is, express that to God in prayer. And lastly, you want to look toward tomorrow. It might be helpful when you're praying like this at home to literally look at a calendar um, and think about what, what are the appointments that you're, you're facing in the immediate future? What are your days going to look like? That might help to then see what feelings surface as you look at the tasks, the meetings, the appointments that face you. And what comes up? Is it fear? Is it delighted anticipation? Is it self-doubt? Is it temptation to procrastinate? Is it zestful planning, regret, weakness, whatever it is? You then turn that into prayer for help, for healing, for whatever you need to pray to the Lord. Take a moment doing that and then we'll close. And to close the exam and to remember that this isn't just sort of a mental exercise or daydreaming, but it's actually prayer and communication with God. We close praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a way that you can pray in the evening, praying over your last day. You can pray like this in the morning, thinking about the day prior. There's a little sort of mnemonic device, mnemonic device that you can use. LT3F. LT3F. If you remember that, you can remember light, thanks, and then three Fs. Feelings, focus, future. LT3F. And this way of praying or rummaging for God in our lives, it helps us notice through gratitude and our emotions and even in confession that God was surely in this place and we didn't know it. And praying like this over time helps us become more aware of God in the moment so that like Simeon, 
we can rejoice when we recognize that the normal, mundane-looking baby is actually the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, give us eyes to see your salvation and glory in our lives. Help us become the kind of people who grow in anticipation, but don't miss when the promise is fulfilled. Don't leave us stuck in waiting when what we're waiting for has actually come. Let us be the people who see, who notice, who recognize, who rejoice, who are able to say, now your servant can depart in peace that we might be the kind of people who have that kind of contentment, Lord. Pray that you would be with us as we seek to celebrate Christmas well, as we seek to feast in a time of pandemic. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.